Since the recording is in progress, we would like to announce that we're continuing the Radiant or Brilliant Love, Building Love, the last study group in the 104th or something like that session is now in order. Uh, all rise and say it. <laughs> <laughs> All rise and say what you need to say. What have you been doing? I know what Dorte has been doing. She's been with us hacking reality in Brazil. She has an archetypal lineage talisman and has been fierce. She's been just fierce. Wow. So this wow. is great, great time. Yeah. Alice. What about the rest of you? Or Dortea, let them see your fierceness. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, my God. Oh, man. Whoa. I have Whoa. around 40 <laughs> dogs and cats in my Airbnb. <laughs> 14. I didn't know that before. That is fierceness. So they are all the fans now of this group. They're all looking at you. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> we only yeah. have two. It was all the neighbors. Oh, man. 14. Seven in the kitchen. <laughs> dogs. Seven dogs in the kitchen. Yeah. Hi, Marianne. Thank you for getting up early. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. Hi, Marianne. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hello. Hi. We have a custom of of using the first few minutes to share our research from our experiments, things we've discovered, things we're trying. So we're at that part of our coming together here. You're about to say something. Not yet. Uh, not yet. Angela. Uh, I try something with radical honesty. In Tamara, several things are changing, and uh, one of our members also has um, is a member of our AA group. And um, her father was recently here, and he is since 39 years sober and so on. And um, just for my curiosity, I also went to these AA meetings they were hosting here, and. I think 10, 15 years ago, I attended some um, children from adult children from addicted families or something yeah. like this. I don't know how it's called in English. Mm -hmm. So I'm It was my first experience of community. Yeah. And um, actually, the alcohol is not my topic, even though my system is also has a lot of um, dependencies. Um, like uh, from coffee over, I would like to have something sugary or not the whole normal gremlin stuff. But my topic would be to go to Violence Anonymous. And my partner was here in this time and somehow I managed that he comes with me to this meeting. And I was saying amongst other people in Tamara that this is my topic. You know, so to really um, see 
and put it open on the on the table. This is put the poo on the table, yeah, to say that my aggression that I can't uh, deal with it alone, and I will. At the moment, my life is so full, but I will. Um, I want. I really. I will start um, with violence anonymous meetings. Yeah, and it changed something in also the contact with my partner because um, I think it, it. Yeah, it was just um, how to say it. Usually in the moments when I get desperate and um, um, don't show it, or the sadness and um, fear and put the anger, I could in these moments then say, like, this would make me angry. And at this point, I need, for example, I need your help. Can you tell me, for example, what is happening now for you? Because my reaction is like this. And so we came... It's now an example. We came in a different kind of communication with each other through my honesty. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, like this. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And a lot more, the whole day is a constant ongoing um, noticing what is happening here, what is happening there with Gremlin here, with adult being there with child and so so I'm really it's now a year ago that I um, one a bit more than one year that I attended ETB in lab and also made gremlin transformation and I'm not not doing a lot at the moment but it's a lot going on no it's just a constant the system is just dealing with all the stuff which all the knowledge which is there it's now you know it's gets on several places and just working yeah yay Thank you. Yes. Uh, we're finding this uh, violence anonymous has been really a key uh, catalyst for us in working with things like gremlin self-cannibalism, for example. Gremlin violence. And gremlin violence, both of those. Mm. Are just really central forces helping people get a grip on something that you know, possibility management is not designed for that. Possibility management has other intentions. But if you're stuck in the traps, uh, then the other dimensions aren't accessible. And so it's really a wake up for us to yeah. get a grip on these, yeah. these nasty little habits that we've developed. I, I want to say from what I've heard um, from people who participated in, in VA and especially the people who've been participated in the group of the person who created the space folder of violent anonymous that the, their main map they're working with is the dr drama triangle we call it the low drama and that they the invitation is to do to go through all 12 steps of the VAAA typical 12 steps yeah. from the perspective of all three each each characters yes yes I just I found that just so amazing that they would be so clear that all three are, are in are, are in this violence and in uh, um, the you know, gremlin food. I don't know if they have that distinction, but yeah. Yeah, I I read something on the home. I what I flew over their homepage and um, I yeah, it's clear there how they work with how intensely they work with the drama triangle. Yeah, yeah. it's great. 
Thank you. Thank you. Everybody take a deep breath, please. Thank you. Super. I'd like to hear from a couple more people on your experiments. What kind of experiments you've been trying? Go ahead. Um, I experimenting uh, since a few weeks ago um, uh, to to uh, to uh, practice to be a space holder in the uh, the autumn, the fall. Uh, be, because uh, Ingrid uh, cannot talk anymore, and uh, she uh, she leave uh, the, the the management uh, possibility group, and uh, and she asked us uh, if we uh, we can. And I say yes. I say yes with four other person and. Uh, and I'm there, and uh, I don't know uh, the path uh, uh, in front of me, but uh, I say yes, and uh, and uh, I like this challenge because uh, I'm uh, I'm a person. Um, I used to be a person uh, perfectionist, and uh, I don't know is this in English too perfectionist? <laughs> okay. And uh, the perfectionist in me do nothing, and she's cer- she's uh, certain that uh, everything uh, would be okay if she's not uh, engaging in uh, in uh, in life. <laughs> now I think I'm in life, and I like that. Mm-hmm. Even though I I'm crying, but uh, I think it's a joy. Uh, yeah, tears because. Uh, it's uh, it's challenging. It's uh, it's vibrating, and uh, um, it's uh, it's life, and I like that. Everything is to discover, and uh, I will you keep in touch. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Solange. Yeah, Solange. Thank you for being a yes. You know yeah. the the Earth Coincidence Control Office opens doors for us all the time. And we're so often just a no. We're too afraid. We say we don't we don't know enough. We 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 don't want to make a mistake because we try to be perfect. There's so many reasons why we say no. And so it's I'm, I feel glad that you're just saying yes and going for it because that mm-hmm. doors open. You know, it only opens a door and then you can go through or not, but if you if you say no, it's not going to happen. So thank you for being a yes. Yes. Wow. My turn. Write about archetypal love was the last offer at the BLTL space. I said good night, leaving him on his laptop. See you when we find each other in another next space. A while later, he joined me with some new, barely palpable, indescribable nothing space. Earlier that day, I'd met with two totally transformed nothings in my three cell with Michael and Rudolph. I was at a new edge. 
What can emerge from such an empty space? What from the yet-to-be-created space can shiver forth from movement into form? What is this new space, James? What were you doing before that resulted in this shift? A shift I wanted to move into and explore. A new room for me to inhabit. Rub his magic lamp, Clinton delicately invites. The lamp where the genie appears and woman, the the genie appears and says, woman, this is a space for you, your pleasure, your exploration, for you to open new spaces in yourself and in the world, for the next to be seeded, gestated, birthed and cherished. Archetypal love, that unearned, infinite source and force of nature, not for a me and us, rather the energy supply for creating extraordinary and archetypal projects. Thank you for courage, Janet. So when Janet was back, I was I I sat and brought that question forth of hmm, what is archetypal love? What is that for me? And my writing was the space empty of need and want, of petty and of future, of past and of plans, the gap between spaces where other is a part of, not apart from me, where the essence of self and other emerges and informs and the lightness of touch is a dance of giving and receiving. This moment finds its place in the continuum of time and self becomes but a speck of dust pick up, picked up and carried across the universe of possibilities. Holding but not owning and treasuring the moment as long as it is or may be. Love not confined to a one, embracing the whole, the all, the manifest, the unmanifest, the not yet manifest. I'm blessed to be exploring radical relating with an amazing, beautiful woman, a queen. So this in all ways is the perfect time to explore archetypal love. Yay. Thank you for sharing it, for making this space for it to speak through you. 
And therefore, Hello. is it worth? Sorry. Okay. Go ahead, Dan. Echo is at work. There's there's magic happening. <laughs> um, when when Janet first came down uh, here about six weeks ago, we very quickly discovered that we had a tremendous amount in common that we had no idea about, and that was our mutual interest in supporting local food initiatives, nurturing healthy, vibrant local food initiatives. And Janet's done her work in the space, and we've had so many people in common. And and it's something which I have I put on pause for about six years while I went out into the world and I did my business consulting work. And it's it's coming alive in me again. And I have so much joy for for the aliveness in me when 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 I go with with my passion with with what is turning me on. And and as I do that, things are happening. Things left and right, the people showing up. And connections being made. Yeah. So much joy. Well, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like living instead of surviving. <laughs> yes, forces, that. There are forces which will support us in either game world. Yes. <laughs> we get to choose. Thank you. Arena, you were going to say something? Yes, I want to share what I'm experiencing. And I'm sorry, I I am without headphones, so if you feel here so noise, I'm going to be quick. Um, since the emotion, uh, the expanded box, I have been um, in a transformation in the way of being super aware when I'm losing my center and when I get distracted and um, and practicing declaring and choosing and asking. And that bring a lot of um, realizations and seeing myself from from a perspective from a new perspective and also I'm connected with a man and I'm exploring allowing myself to be without being in the pattern of sexual communication being enjoying pleasures not sexual and has been powerful and super scary and I feel I felt many emotions but I felt really anger on the way that I've been or our culture most all women in my in my surroundings 
when I talk about these things that I didn't have sex with this person, with this man, I notice how they get impacted or kind of shocked how you are not having sex or what are you having in, in why you don't want to have sex and and how I'm feeling about it and how I reacted and see myself with so many um fears fears and and somebody treat me and it's a um um older man than me so then I'm experience something totally different and see how he is um patient and getting into the rhythms of being another person or being another person of myself from from outside it's, it's the, the the thing that i'm experiencing is um yes coming back to a new version and getting more or being aware of being centered and focus on what is happening and not trying to to control and all of this. Well, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Sonia. I am... Um, relating with a three-year-old three girl. And it's been a while since I've been around a child for, for this long. And it's amazing how the vulnerability is present most of the time for a young person. And I, I just thought about the completion loops, that I do the completion loops in order to get to the I love you. And with this little girl, the I love you is the first thing that comes. <laughs> and so, yes, it's it's like I, I notice how I have a big space between my vulnerability and what I want and what goes out. And with her, she just comes to me and says, I want to play with you. And it's so disarming it's she wants to be with me and there's so much love in this i want to be with you and at the same time the vulnerability and the strength that comes through with do you want to sing with me today and i noticed that i had this idea that extraordinary was something very complex and it's just being with we are just in the presence of each other and enjoying, just enjoying a song. And I'm experimenting in being more close to what is happening inside. And I love all of you. And I want to be here with you. This is so important for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Michaela, do you want to say that? 
Yes, I'm, my experiments are also around the low drama. So also I discovered that I have had somehow more experience in my professional life and I experienced that I have I did, um, divided myself more in having a yeah, professional life and being in my private life. And that I really trained a lot to hold space for others and hold space for, yeah, for healings. And so, and what I forgot sometimes to really go for what is deeper, where I am on the learn spiral, learning spiral. And I'm discovering, discovering the next level. So that I also felt really the addiction to low drama and that it's coming up. Um, so going through my grandma transformation also. That is, um, like really in close relations when it's getting closer. Um, I was so used to also train my partners or my people around to go with what I yeah, brought in and my rescuer was really active. So it's not the violence, um, by persecuting more about rescuing and that I really found out more. Yeah. Distinctions there. That is one part. It's really deep. And at the other hand, really open other spaces for, yeah, go with the feelings and heal and um, find in myself another map, how to hold space from a different point of origin. What is really growing in, because my, my world in the outside is more shaking right now. It's like when, because I really built up a really somehow safe and stable world and it worked. It worked for a long time in the period of time. And I see that I really got a lot of things. What is most of the time more a box thing, like it's safe to be in this village, what I created. And somehow now I change and it's really shaking to see how people are reacting and acting when I'm changing because they are so used to that. I'm whole space, like all is stable and all is yeah settled. And so I'm in, in the experience to, to be really honest and there, what is changing in me and that I don't know. And to really say, okay, now it's necessary that you are here, that you also maybe hold space that I never expected before. And I don't know where it, where it will go and how it goes. So staying in there, okay, there's a village and I will leave it even it somehow worked and it not longer it really is nurturing me and I don't know where to go or where it will go right now. That is where I am. Thank you. Okay. Um, thank you. Thank you. Millicent, you're going to say something? No, Millicent, I was going to say. I um, have been, I am doing an experiment of, I don't even know the word for it, but relating with a man and it's the first time I've ever done this before and it's very intense. It's like, oh, I can't tell if I want him to like get way, 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 way away or come like really, really, really close. And it's very alive. 
and I I find like it really hard to find what my like he, he waits he waits for 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 these impulses to come up in me and I can't find them anymore. It's like I it's all my all my um like directions are all messed up inside of me and I can't read it. Even ending up sitting here today, I don't even know how this happened. <laughs> Here's how this happened. There's a website <laughs> called Evolution of Relating. Evolutionofrelating.mystrikely.com and I encourage you to really check it out and relocate yourself from previous practices into current necessities because it sounds like you caught one you know what I mean like you throw the fishing line in the water and you don't know if you're going to get an old shoe or some seaweed or a live one so it sounds like you got a live one and that, that will require practices on your part that requires center grounding cord bubble and the bubble is really important, and that's a lot explained in the evolution of relating how we evolve in our management of our own space. Because, you know, when we're in our mom's belly or in our parents' household, for example, we we don't really have a bubble of our own space. Cannot, cannot, or you do not survive. And so we learned how to survive, but we never went through the initiatory trainings to develop skills for declaring and holding our bubble in different ways as an adult. And so that's this will explain that. Uh, and those are just, you just need to jump into those practices and really implement them so that you're not a victim of just old habits. You really need to fiercely just dive into the adulthood practices and it'll work. That's what's cool about this stuff is that it works, but nobody can do it for you. Nobody can stop you from doing it. And I just encourage all of us to be practicing those things because the basis of adulthood is the entryway to the archetypal. Thank you, Melissa. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, Yesterday, Sonia and I held space for the first session of this Archaeal Woman's Journey, Chapter 1, called Healing and Transforming Abuse. And it was just an incredible healing and close, something about closeness space. And the discovery that I really got from Sonia is that the healing of the abuse has to do with closeness between who we truly are and how we're being in the world and that the abuse creates this gap that like Millicent you would have this idea that you don't know what your impulses are or it's like or where they come an hour later or a year later or um it's like lost in a in this buffer zone and sometimes it can be a fog or something and it's and that the part of healing the abuse and, and growing up is 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 to become one 
in a way, it's to become one with Gaia, to become, because she is there. And especially, I would think, for us as women, and to be so connected with these forces of our bright principles and archetypal lineage and our heart and our being, and our, that we are one with them without even the slightest gap of doubting ourself or... For me, it was a lot of doubting and and or looking for authority figures to decide if that's appropriate or not appropriate or right or not right or whatever the thing is. And I I wanted to give this experiment. Maybe some some of you had something for you to do. Um, we all write. We all wrote this after exploring what has happened to us. This question of who would I be if I had not been abused? Who would I be right now? And to write it not, I would be, but to write it, I am. I am, and, and the thing, the thing that is actually there, but it's just been buffered through what has happened to us, something like that. And... I already know that I, I want this space to happen again. I already know that I will not hold space for it again, but I, so there's about 22 women in the space and I, I think some of them might hold space for it again because it just the first session is worth the whole thing. I think for me, it was worth the whole setting up the space. Mm, well, and Chloe. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to say something. Um, no arms. I am practicing turning up. I have been listening to the study group recordings for a little while now, and I had actually made the decision to to come on live today. I had it written on my calendar, and to be honest, I don't think I would have come and. But Janet put something up and I thought, yes, I'm going to do this. So my experiment is, is showing up and, and following that impulse too. I have fear right now to talk. Um, life sadness too. My joy is, um, I am doing full feeding chickens with my partner. And this is something very new. Oh, Marianne. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe we've got to the stage that this is what we're doing. And I'm bringing more PM language into our relationship. It's, it's great. I, I, one of my, a part of my research is that I've been in, gremlin for in low drama for so long in my relationship it's been in my head in my head and so that's the awareness the awareness is more rather than projecting what's wrong on in our relationship to my partner it's you know what's the part that i've got to play and i realize it's a it's a huge part it's got in the way of of it has got in the way of our love for each other. So it's, it's big. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for bringing that to the space. Anybody else? Anything else right now? Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas. My experiment is that, uh, so my daughter is doing this uh, course uh, down in Greymouth on the West Coast, an outdoor education course, very intense, very, very physical course involving quite a lot of risk. And there's a lot of young men on this course. And one of them recently tried to commit suicide. And and um, I don't mean like tried to commit suicide, like he drove his car off a cliff. He, he really should be dead. It's amazing he's alive. And this sort of really landed in me and connected with my anger about suicide. And I decided to go down there and, and support them to start a group where they can support each other to share their feelings and, and connect with their feelings. And I'm kind of terrified about it, but at the same time, I, I'm really, uh, I have joy as well that I would normally, I would just have this idea or thought and then dismiss it as crazy. And, um, and this time I'm, I'm going to do it. And yeah, it's something that James said earlier. I, I can't remember what it was now, but it, what I realized was that I feel like I've got enough love now that I can share it. And I'm, I'm, yeah. Yeah. I've only just realized this just during this conversation this morning that I somehow I have enough now to, to share. Mm. <laughs> Nicholas. Yeah, don't hesitate to support your wild ass offers with documentation on the websites just like four feelings and four emotions dot my just called number four and then feelings or number four and emotions. There's huge distinctions in there that are so far like a universe away from what we're what we've learned in in modern culture, ordinary education and training, even from our parents and the church or wherever we might have learned something. But this, you don't have to sound like a off you know off the rocker kind of guy from nowhere out of left field, which is a baseball metaphor, but uh, somewhere from nowhere, you know. But you can use a look. No, really, there's a website. You know, and it explains exactly what I'm saying. Here's the exercise. Let's try this. I feel mad, sad, glad, and scared because everybody listen. Somebody repeat back. Great. Next person. Go to the next level deeper. There's a huge amount of breakthroughs happening with that. And thank you for listening to Echo's invitation or Gaia's invitation, whoever invited you, and just moving instead of considering it. Yeah, thank you. Please. Let us know how it goes. Yeah, somehow I really have this. The, the first one of the first thing that I experience will come up is the need for to express anger, and so just mm. you know get ready to you know put guys in standing rage, put two strong guys you know next to them and say you you hold them, you know when I say stop you stop you know just to make it completely safe, but I think to get it that that will be one of the first uh, thing that will come up for all of them because of so much schooling and. An abuse, really. 
just years and years of imprisonment. Yeah, that kind of uh, course is uh, oriented towards a physical red brain action oriented mm-hmm. um, personality. And the rage, the rage club is another excellent source of information called Rage Club. Is a, a fantastic doorway for people to actually be, start becoming themselves in becoming themselves more yeah and being heard and having contact with others being seen like that mm-hmm. thank you thank you cool, yeah. Ellen what's happening in your heart in Germany oh I'm missing it I'm feeling big pain and 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 feeling really lonely in in a world that is modern culture and that is my family playing that game so perfectly and um yeah i feel pain and and sadness and at the same time i'm so clear that um i'm so appreciative of what what this work can offer on and I'm reading a lot, I'm listening a lot, I'm filling my tank in in my own bubble here and I'm reaching out a little bit. Of course I have my connection with Bruce, which is I'm so grateful for that we speak the language and that we can connect on that level and that we can physically not yeah, that we really feel the connection with each other even if that's distant, and I can't wait to come back. At the same time, I'm really, really deeply appreciate my time here with my family and my connection to my roots, and I can see how much I have adopted or how much what my making is, so to speak, what, what, I, what has formed me, and where my healing needs to go and what I have healed as well. Lots of liquid moments and liquid times. And having my daughter and her grandchild here as well is, is, it's quite special. It's really, really special. There's a very intense. Yeah. Thank you. There's a, there's a, experiment I would invite you to try and it's to give yourself permission to have a game plan so there's a website we have called game plan or your game plan your your game plan plan. and it it's about it's re it's um a different orientation than trying to have trying to have what did you say family trying Trying to to be trying to be in a family yeah, it's a different orientation to, to life than kind of going along or seeing how it goes or or kind of being in the river and the river takes you wherever it goes and you kind of notice things. But it's possible to, to do both. It's possible to be having a game plan does not mean you're in control or in charge. It simply means you have an, like an aim, you have an intention and you have. And it allows you to take responsibility for taking actions that may be unpredicted by other people, that may be, that don't conform to the ordinary. 
because you have a game plan. You have a different intention. You have a different orientation. And so your game plan can take you out of circumstances that do not meet your game plan almost instantly and can bring you into other circumstances that fit your game plan surprisingly well, even though you'd never predicted it or imagined it before. But if you're in possession of your of a game plan, it changes your shape enough that circumstances can more conform to your game plan than just um, being blown around in the wind. And it, so I'm not insinuating that you're being blown around in the wind, but I'm trying to invite you and us to have different uh, some kind of a game plan. And it just an, uh, gives you a kind of agency in dimensions that most people don't imagine we can have agency in. And it's so it's a. I want to say that just it's your your game plan is not a vision because the vision is like something out there yeah. in the future possibly happening, whereas your game plan, you know, can have the smell of a vision, but it's really it's happening now. It is you, you're on the on the path now, and you have agency now. You're creating your game plan as you move, as you go, as you whatever, as you taking action, as you speaking to the next person, as you. I mean, one of the things that a, that your game plan will do is will handle incidentals more effectively, and so in, incidentals are are small forces that come this way or that way. And, and and offer distractions or diversions or I- interferences. And if you have a game plan, you just kind of spin around them. You just spin and they go by. Whereas if you don't have a game plan, you're not really on track. And, and those interferences impinge on you. They impact you far more severely and take you off course or take you on a different course that – is kind of a, you know, days can go by, whole days can go by distracted by these incidentals and they don't have to because you'll never get those days back. And so just because it occurs to you, you know, that this might be wanted or that it, and, and, it, and it's important to distinguish between impulses from, Echo or Gaia or your archetypal lineage or something like that, this kind of an impulse, the kind that Nicholas was talking about, you know, about, you know, here's this impulse to go, you know, head over to this group of people and and open a door for them. Okay, that's that's a different kind of impulse than an incidental. And incidentals come like more of a distraction or more of a... uh, uh, And it also is different from there's certain kinds of gremlin food that you may be feeding your gremlin consciously that look to other people like incidentals, but are actually just really fine pieces of gremlin food that nurture, you know, this creative force in you called your gremlin. So for me, for example, I just spent uh, the morning taking, I don't know how many, 50 or so photographs that I'd taken of people's archetypal lineage talismans, the close-up photographs, and I framed them up and, and uploaded them to the archetypal lineage website. 
And so now there's 226 or so photographs of actual archetypal lineage talismans that are being used by people. So these are all possibilitators in action. And it's, and it's like, okay, did this really need to happen? I mean, there was already 150. Why do I need to add, you know, 50 more? And, and the, the, it's, it feeds my, it feeds my gremlin in a way to have more, whatever mass, it builds mass in the world for archetype, for the reality and the, and the impact, like the, the, the existence and reality of the archetypal lineage in action. And it just, when you, if you're just scrolling through the website and you hit that thing, you just go, whoa, 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 they just don't stop. And, you know, three years ago, when we first built the website, there was only 10 or 15 archetypal lineages on there. And so this is really an incredible revolution happening. And it, so, so that fed my gremlin. So it's another kind of impulse that's not a, necessarily a distraction or an incidental, but could appear to other people like that. But it's if it's feeding your gremlin in a conscious kind of way like that, can be really productive also. So I just wanted to mention this thing about having a game plan. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So whoever hasn't spoken, whatever, speak up when, whenever you want. But I'm on page 249 of the book. And I forget what section we're in. Section B, love, love, and archetypal love. And we're at this little section called responsibility for true necessity. And I want to back up one paragraph to repeat something we were, we were talking about last time we met which is when we, it says, when we try circumscribing archetypal love with words, which is what both Janet and James were doing for us. You know, you're trying to, here's this thing called archetypal love. It has no words. And yet it, there's a necessity for like, wrapping, wrapping it up in words. Like you build the package and what's in the package is archetypal love, but you cannot build the package around archetypal love. Like, like the package itself brings the contents so if you try to circumscribe archetypal love with words you cannot but speak in superlatives you cannot help but make reference to the astonishing i mean what do we really know about archetypal love nothing but so what let us carry on with foolhardiness so great as to assert that every human being can have certainty and direct knowledge or experience of archetypal love. How many people have actually experienced true love? Everybody. That is why the legend of archetypal love continues to excite us. And then the next section is called Responsibility for True Necessity. I think we might have started this last time. We, we read part of it, yeah. Maybe even, yeah, we read all this. Yeah. What is everybody else doing? It's none of your business. Yeah. We're at Bright Principles and Archetypal Love, page 250. Okay. But, yeah. All right. So what is, so there on page 250, it says, Archetypal Love can be seen as the first Bright Principle. 
the principle of which all other bright principles are but a mere facet. So there's a, a website called Bright Principles, and it's a they turn out to be forces of nature that each individual human being can tap into. So there's a procedure for starting to distill your bright principles on the website. And it's a, a valuable step in the direction of your own adulthood, I think. So, so the principle which all other bright principles are but a mere facet, archetypal love sources an intelligence so vast that consciousness, space, time, energy, and matter originate and flow directly out of its structure. Our, I mean, modern physics is figuring this stuff out. They're, they're catching up. Archetypal love would then be the most abundant thing in the universe, which is so very different from the, the ordinary relationship to love is that love is scarce. And what this is saying is that the universe is built out of archetypal love. When the first maps showed the world as flat, it was well known that if you sailed away from known territory, you would fall off into the void and come to a terrifying and most disturbing end. These thought maps had a profound influence on our behavior. Flat world thinking, the thinking of Boundaries, dangers, and separations is what created Europe, for example. There's no Grand Canyon between France and Germany. There are no Atlantic Ocean or Himalayan mountains to cross. You can easily walk from Paris to Frankfurt. But people would be born, grow up, have kids, work, and die within a 10-mile radius because they were unconsciously afraid to leave known territory. The thought map of flat world dangers separated Europeans from each other for centuries, you know, and still continues to today. So permitting the evolution of diverse languages, attitudes, eating habits, and thought processes that still exist today. When the round world map came into general acceptance, an entire renaissance of creativity exploded across the Western world. I submit that the original renaissance is still in its youth. Like we haven't, we haven't picked the fruit of the renaissance yet of the round world map. We haven't, we haven't, we haven't stepped fully into the round world map yet. The same boundless joy and expanded horizons of the Renaissance await us when we discover the map of archetypal love. By redrawing our own thought map of the universe of love with archetypal love as the original, eternal, and endlessly available background, you gain immediate access to unforeseen new dimensions in relating. For example, in a universe where the source of consciousness and all existence is archetypal love, and where this love is the most abundant thing in that universe, one of the features is that you cannot be unloved. You cannot be unloved. Cannot. You, can, you also cannot be unnoticed, by the way. You also cannot be disconnected, by the way. 
Like, so it's a completely different world or universe from this starting point. You cannot be unloved. Cannot. It is impossible to avoid the experience of endless, unconditional, archetypal love. Where can you go? Where can you go where love is not? You think there's some place you can go where archetypal love is not already there? So this is a whole different orientation. To have that, you know, step out of your bed into that in the morning. Put your foot into that universe in the morning and don't leave it. Or see, or at least notice what factors try to invite you to leave. That's an experiment. You know, you take your first step out in the morning into that universe of archetypal love and see what forces try to take you out of it. And just write those in your beat book. Make a big list of all those things. Try to take you out of it. And then start doing emotional healing processes and rage work. The next section is called free will. So, you might ask, what about those of us who do not feel this love? What about those of us who feel wounded to the core, totally abandoned by anyone who matters? Those of us who feel disrespected or betrayed by love itself, not living up to its great promise? What about the vast majority of humanity? Consider this. Your box, which is your psychological survival strategy, developed in childhood and necessary at that time, which was not shattered beyond recognition during your authentic adulthood initiatory processes because you did not have them. So that box, that bo- your box, that box has the power to block you from basking in and utilizing the endless resource of archetypal love. That it has this power to do that. The box is a manifestation of your free will. Who built your box? Right? So your box is a manifestation of your own free will. Through free will, you choose to believe your box is copious evidence that you are your box. You know, you choose to believe this story from your box that you are your box. Through free will, you choose to ignore the even more prolific evidence that you have a box, but who you are is archetypal love. The box uses a simple slate of mind trick to block you from immense innate capacities for compassion. The box's trick is called misidentification. We constrain ourselves to behaving within the permitted limitations of your box because you think you are your box. You squeeze down and miniaturize your allowable responses so that you appear to be sane instead of appearing to be a pirate, sorceress, warrioress, queen, goddess, woman, or a pirate, magician, king, spiritual warrior man. This thing called misidentification is huge. It's the, it's the thing that it's a, it's a capacity that's wired into us in the, our design that is, it is the thing, almost the thing that's most central to get a grip on in your adulthood initiations. 
is this capacity to shift into being identified with a personality or a, a, a space without the freedom to escape the personality or the space. You get that? That's called identification. As you think this is the only possible personality I can have, you know, my reasons, my projections, my expectations, or you think this is the only possible space that can exist, both of which are patently untrue. Once you gain tools of shifting identity and navigating space or cavitating space, when you get those tools, it becomes obvious that, you know, of course I don't have to stay in this identity or of course I don't have to stay in this space. I can invent any other personality or space I want to right now, really, in a click of a finger almost. So this thing about being identified is huge. It's a huge, uh, a huge designed in deception that is our responsibility as adults to circumvent to go around is to circumvent identification and so you can you have to we practice that in the expanded box training where we work with being the snapping in to a story world you can there's a sensation of snapping into a an advertisement or somebody tells you a story and you go god that's real or god it's true or god i want that or god i don't want that whatever the snap is it's like the same kind of snap that you get when you go to a film and you snap into the story, and we love being snapped into story worlds. And if you don't identify the snapping sensation, then when you identify into somebody's low drama story or some hook that some gremlin throws at you to in, in, incite a, a low drama with your gremlin, if you, if you don't notice this tendency towards snapping into and being identified, you're gone. You have no grip on presence or reality anymore you're just hooked into this fantasy worlds so i'm i'm emphasizing working with there's a website called misidentification isn't it disidentification yeah disidentification there's not enough on that one so if anybody has ideas for the disidentification website millicent what i would like to ask this question like in traditional um initiation processes are they was that designed to become identified with something like identified with the traditions of the tribe or something? I think you already are answering your own question, are you not? Uh huh. As far as I know, as far as my research has shown, is that an identification called adult Mahumahu tribe member, male or female, which are different was offered in the Mahumau tribe for as a result of their initiation. So you would leave childhood and then completely 100% map into the beliefs, you know, thought where the behavior patterns, desires, longings, rules of an adult from the tribe. And then that was it for the rest of your life that you, you shifted identity from, from, from child to an adult in this tribe. And then you had an identity and, and it was so strong that in terms of the makeup that you wore, the beads, the, the, um, sewn on patterns in your clothing, the way you wore your hair, the kind of foods you would eat, et cetera, the language you would speak that if someone 
in your tribe did not follow those patterns, you had to kill them. And if someone came from another tribe, they were known as the edible ones. You just eat them. They're not even human. You just, they're like food, animal food walks into camp, somebody wearing trousers and a bow tie, you just eat them because, because they don't match the identity of a, what they call the human being. Almost every indigenous tribe's word for, for the member of their tribe is the human being, a human being. And everybody else, they were the edible ones, did not match. So that's how strong the identification was in, in indigenous initiatory processes. And that's why, you know, if you look at American Indians, American Indian history, you will, you will just see that they just always fought each other the whole time. They fought, every tribe fought each other the whole time. And the same essentially in Borneo and in Amazon and New Zealand and Africa. And it was this, you know, and from one perspective, it was really intelligent because it kept down the population. And we have lost that intelligence because our population has boomed and it's taking, it's taking the planet with it. Our overpopulation, the human population is taking, taking out the entire, you know, life platform, ecological life platform on the earth, just devouring it like a bacteria. So, so it was intelligent to have that kind of a, a design in your culture is because it, the battles would keep down the population. There's other ways to keep down population these days. So, Melissa, were you going to say something else about that? Yeah, I just then I just wanted to say like it's it's the same like um like the same thing that's happening in in my own growing up, but it's being like changed but to something else for me to become be able to be use that in a different way or something. Can you give an example? Like I noticed, I was walking around this town that I grew up yesterday and I usually have a really strong sense of where I want to go what street I want to go out what track and like where I want to walk and I was just like boom boom like I actually doesn't matter it just doesn't matter like I really don't care where I walk right now and it's just this real unique sense of like not really belonging to the town and not really not really mattering and were you okay with that yeah i was okay with that that i mean yeah it's were you surprised about being okay with that yeah yeah i mean i think that occurs through building matrix it's a matrix is a our sets of distinctions that are not constrained to a, a culture or time. They're just constrained to practical usefulness. Like, do they work? Do they provide value? And, and so when you build matrix by, incorpor- by, by having these distinctions land in your being, it gives you a different perception of the world around you because the distinctions establish your perceptions, the way that you can, it's the filter. You know, how are you perceiving your environment? And before you were perceiving it by rote, you know, by this is how it goes, or this is how we do it in this town, or this is how we do it in this culture. And it, 
And then that's easy because you just follow that way. But when you have more distinctions, all of a sudden you have options to choose from that you did not have before because you can perceive new things as as reasonable as possible. And then, then all of a sudden you don't need the handicap of the framework of, of your culture and times, you know, the belief system of your church or the, you know, the religion of your, of your town, you know, the political beliefs of your town. You don't need that anymore. It falls off like the skin off of the back of a snake or a lizard when they shed their skin. It just falls off, you know, just kind of, and it's uncomfortable when it's falling off. It's kind of weird. That's why I was asking you. Did it feel kind of a little bit weird that you, you used to think of that skin was so important and now it's just falling off because you're expanding into a different, bigger world. And so we're designed for that. We're just not uh, brought through, like, what's it called? Nurture. We're not brought through that procedure uh, by the initiators. You know, we're just not. Or it's not part of, so in, in archiarchy, that's a, a central part of, Archiarchy is the initiatory processes. And so that, of course, is part of it is to go, hello, that thing that you think of as yourself is going to get a little weird and uncomfortable and it will fall off because you're building new matrix inside of yourself. And that's how that's a natural process and and welcome to the next phase, next phase of your path. Cool. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to read just the last paragraph of that section before we, we ask any other questions. It is like the last, the last paragraph is we, you constantly use your free will, which is this thing, this powerful force that we have, you know, it's designed into us. You constantly use your free will to sacrifice innate treasures of dignity and non-attachment for the sake of peer approval and social acceptance. I mean, if you just think about that for a second, it's how we allow ourselves to be abused. It's how we allow ourselves to be abused because we, we use our free will to sacrifice dignity, for example, or to be attached to something and get offended. And it's our free will that's doing that stuff. We think, we think it's not free will, but it is. You have a choice about it, and then because of that, we're making ourselves available for many different kinds of abuse. Because if we don't, if you don't have a sense of your own dignity, then you don't value, you don't protect yourself. Essentially, you don't navigate space in such ways as to avoid being abused. And so we just get ground up in this meat grinder machine that's just abusive. And school, for example, or a job at a corporation, for example, or being impacted with tell other people's telephones, you know, you know, or advertisements, et cetera, et cetera. There's so many ways that we are abused if we're not protecting ourselves. So then in the next breath, after after sacrificing your dignity and non-attachment for the sake of peer approval and social acceptance in the next breath, we admit that none of us is sane, that there is no universal measure of psychic health or objective sanity, that one person's sanity is another person's madness. 
the sacrificing of our free will is unconscious herd behavior. Get that? It's programmed in. So, you know, in archiarchy, next culture, which is a more mature culture than than capitalist patriarchal empire, it's we're trained to not sacrifice our free will. You know, and it is not unconscious herd behavior to sacrifice your free will. So, but in modern culture, sacrificing our free will is unconscious herd behavior, extremely disrespectful of our mimetic possibilities. And I put in the word mimetic because I could have just said possibilities. But human beings, our life together and our life potential, etc., is is managed through our mimetic inner, like our inner construct, like this inner world. This and and if you don't have a well cared for and weeded out mimetic construct, um, that's what your life shows up like. Your life shows up like your mimetic construct, and so there's a kind of there's a kind of work with regards to cleaning out your mimetic construct about like taking care of it in terms of noticing what you're using to notice with observing what you're using to observe with perceiving what you're using to perceive with like all these factors have you pay attention to what is your inner construct and and when you start noticing it, you will find aberrations. You'll find weeds. You'll find extra baggage in the closet, you know, collecting dust and spider webs. And you'll you'll just notice this uh, sleazy kind of greasy paint leaking out somewhere in some corner of your mimetic construct. And it just smears stuff together. And, and it's like, okay, this doesn't work for me anymore. It blocks me from being able to take responsibility in this domain with money, with sexuality, energy, with health, with with possessions and with power games, with gremlin and it, it's like, okay, I'm cleaning that out. I'm gonna I'm gonna take in the solvents, whatever is necessary, whatever emotional healing processes are necessary to to clean that whole section of your mimetic construct out. And and it will turn out just one second, it will turn out that in the end you know, if you just keep working in that, your your mimetic construct can be lean and mean. And I don't mean mean like nasty. I mean mean like effective. And it's so it's and and you can do this. Nobody can stop you from doing this. You really have a a, a possibility of cleaning out your mimetic construct and having it be functional. And this is what shows up in terms of your agency. So. Mm. there are far more interesting uses for free will than, you know, using it to, to be non-attached to, to use it to sacrifice the, your innate treasures of dignity and non-attachment. There are far more interesting uses of free will. For example, cleaning up your inner construct, removing buttons, triggers, hooks, traumas, you know, imbalances, like removing all that, like making yourself, cleaning up your ability to be present and connect and cause, you know, cause stuff to happen in the world and to relate and connect. Sorry.
for my rant. Uh, I would call it inner structure instead of inner construct. I think this medic construct is a great word, and then inner structure, which uh, are related but not the same. There's a website called Inner Structure. Yeah, and um, one of the ways to start looking at your mimetic construct, which can be, it sort of it can give this impression of uh, a cat chasing its own tail in the beginning. You're trying, you're trying to look inside, but you're using your mimetic construct to look at your mimetic construct, and so you can't really grab it. And one of the ways that one entry doors could be looking at what are the, the scenarios, what are the scenarios that you're available for? And it's basically what are the scenarios, the story worlds, scenarios that your gremlin and your box are, are just, that's, that's the only thing they see. And that's a reflection of this mimetic construct. So it's, it's like a projection of the mimetic construct. That's one entry door to start looking at it. And and then that it's really gateway also for emotional healing process of like, you know, it's like every time something happens, I, I end up in the same story world. Like I end up in the same scenario, like people betrayed me. I am not understood or I'm going to be hurt again or I'm... Um, uh, they say that people don't understand me. I or, or I'm crazy, or I'm not allowed, or these kind of scenarios, and and they're hooks. They're basically hooks, and it's not so much about killing that scenario because it's just one option. It's more about adding as many scenarios as you can, like to start adding scenarios as a way to create. And that would be probably just the first step as creating a freedom of movement. And so you notice if you start noticing your scenarios, it's like, God, I'm I'm in scenario number three, whatever. <laughs> yeah, yeah okay. it's the experiment is to capture the scenarios, give them the name, write it in your beat book in one sentence, a few mm. a few words, capture it in your beat book, and go. Then you can give it number scenario number three. Yeah, you know, and then come up and then come up with whatever three different scenarios, for examples that are contexted in archetypal love exist. You know what could be the scenario that 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 this shows up as if I cannot not be loved, I cannot not be noticed. And the point is not to really have you know a number of scenarios, then then you pick one or you choose one. It's more to start creating this freedom of movement, so that naturally, it's like in a way whatever in terms of where I'm going with this is to, to be able to um, bear storylessness to not have to be actually snapped into any scenario or but because what, what's that like it's great you said you have to bear it well then you can't be right you know uh-huh. I can't be right I cannot what? I cannot be right I cannot be a victim I cannot you know I cannot, I mean, God, this is what it, yeah. I mean, I think the main thing for me is that I can't, my, my box and Grumman cannot be right, even about being wrong, even about doubting myself. I cannot be right about being wrong. Mm-hmm. And I, just the latest experiments that I've been doing about storylessness is that, you know, even when I'm speaking, I'm, I'm speaking a story. They, it, there's is all over my speaking. There's an is glue all over. And then, so I had this question of, okay, how do I live in storylessness and still speak? And, and, um, 
what I got is storylessness is the ability to make a story. And the moment I end my sentence, that story is already in the past and I've let it go completely, like entirely. And then I can create a whole new scenario and a whole new story immediately. And, and at the end of my sentence, I have let it go also. And kind of like that. Nice nice practice i mean that's an experiment it's an experiment navigate to storylessness so in chloe what you're saying is that by living in storylessness you're actually living in the present is that the same thing that would be the same thing yeah yeah but but it does one does not substitute for the other living in the present Mm -hmm. is a phrase that's been used since the 1960s you know, and so we think we know what that means. Oh, I've heard of this before. Yeah, okay, I get it now. I understand. You put it in the pigeonhole called living in the present and you go, ha ha, I understand. But in fact, you just killed the possibility. So it cannot substitute one for the other. No, living and also... You, go ahead. Yes, and also there is in the moment and also all the emotional things coming up, coming up. And so you are... So we are, then you are in the story again. So... It's on more being, yeah. Storylessness is really working. So what you say is that living in the present is actually creating a story that was invented in the 60s. Yes, yeah, old, <laughs> old technology. It's an old story. It's an old story. <laughs> yes. Okay. Michaela, will you say again what you just said so that people really get it? Because it was really clear what you said mm. and important. Can you just say it again? Yes. Yeah, so when I say I'm in, in the now, so for example, also my now can be also spread it for a long time. So it's like, what is my now? So it's really an observation I also need to do. And when my now is maybe really, really small and it's like, like the fingertips small, even then, Emotional things can be here in this now because I'm not clear about who I am right now, who, which part of me is speaking, what I'm creating. So what is going on in me? And if I not be aware of that because of my not creating a story, everything is there and a lot of stories. So, and so storylessness, storylessness is a different mode, different orientation than living in the now or being in the present yeah. or being in the present mark when i say <clears throat> mark my words sorry when I, when I say live in the present i start the game of knowing being right mm. and so it's a, it's a game as opposed to ending your sentence with I don't know. I'm just here. That story's gone, which is what I think Anne Chloe was trying to emphasize, is that completing my statement and letting that go is being in the present without it being a declaration, I'm living in the present, which makes it a game again. When you first started speaking, Mark, I thought you said living in the president. <laughs> Oh, living in a prison. It's also living, there. Yeah. <laughs> living in the precedent or the president. Yeah. <laughs> the current precedent. 
There's the king uh, for you. Oh, there's a what? There's the king. The warrior king. Yes. So, I mean, the last sentence was, there are far more interesting uses for free will. And so I, th and I think that's where the book's going. There's more interesting uses for free will. But I, I, I don't want to rush too fast because we just hammered out kind of a bunch. Is there, what else is cooking for people about that stuff? I feel I feel sad because I'm recognized that I have this mimetic construct that keep putting myself in the same result when now it's about being in a team and in the past it was in my relating, my you know, one on one relating. And it's something about I see low drama is happening and I'm responsible for that because in, in some way I chose that like I, I chose this person that you know we're going to be in low drama together or even if if they start to be in low drama and I mean I'm an adult I chose that moment because I chose to be in this person with this kind of relating and I still have I still have sadness and anger about it mixed which is an emotion and and I still have this way that I'm I'm creating these situations in my teams to be that like after a while low drama is happening. And I, I feel sad because I don't know this mimetic structure. I want to interrupt you because maybe this is part of your mimetic structure is you said it three times, low drama is happening. As if it's like low drama just appears. But it's not like that. Low drama does not exist in nature. It takes a human being to come around. So are you saying I'm creating low drama? Is that what you're saying when you're saying low drama is happening? I'm saying that I'm responsible for being in this situation where low drama is happening because I chose to be there. In some way, I created that because I brought myself to this situation. Even if I'm not, if, even if I'm choosing, I'm not participating in this now. Okay. okay. And then, and then I, I choose to, to leave or something like that. But that's for me, it's not being responsible. So another, I think it's another, Mark, were you going to say something? Yes. Go ahead. <clears throat> Dor, do you have something around you creating low drama? I'm noticing resistance. No. I know that I create low drama. It happens. Yeah. yeah, I create low drama as well. Thank you. So, Dora, when you were talking before, you said that you feel sad and you feel angry when you notice the low drama is happening, and that could be a key because what you did not say is fear. And so I use a lot of fear to notice ways I'm negotiating spaces, agreements, contracts, proposals. You know, I'm using a lot of fear to detect potential low drama. And if you, if you get what I'm saying, so maybe it would be 
a, a new experiment to lead with fear. Actually start leading your interactions with fear. I mean, we were talking about like, what do you call it? Shark, like sharkizing, you know, what's it called? Like to make something into a shark. Sharks are these simple, clean, powerful. Are you making a verb out of shark? Yeah, sharkizing, (laughs) sharkizing your your inner structure. We're talking about that, about making it mean and lean, lean and mean. So, so for me lately, I've been noticing that my inner structure has two components, has a sort of clarity and a bullshit detector. And both of them are powered by fear. And where where I end up is in a state of awe a lot of times, which is also fear-based. You know, there's a kind of the use of fear to feel awe is that awe can only occur in the moment. Awe only occurs now. And it has a huge, sure, there's joy in it. And all the all the feelings, but it also awe has fear in it, and so my proposal is, or one offer, or an experiment is, is to uh, in bring in more fear into your um, negotiations, in more fear into your creation of relating and spaces and commitments. Yeah. So, and maybe the fear, because it seemed when I was hearing you, it seems like there's a thing that happens is that you're noticing low drama around you and then you snap into this scenario of, again, there's low drama around me. And then I'm responsible for having been around. I chose this situation. I chose this person. And then you snap into that scenario, which crystallizes the whole scenario. Then you can beat yourself up with wet tamales, you know, with hot sauce in it and stuff like that. Instead of being, I simply, I notice there is low drama. I notice and then to be more in contact with your fear, to navigate the next step without having to crystallize it into, again, I'm here, something like that. Which is a story. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like my fear told me in the beginning that it's going to happen, but I wanted to do that anyways because part of my story is that low drama is going to be there because it's people and nobody, and it's not perfect. And we're going to go to our edge. So there's going to be low drama. So that's my mimetic structure told me. It's going to happen. And then when I'm there, it's like you said, I'm snapped into this again thing. Yeah, but so why do you live in that world? Because I don't live in that world. Low drama doesn't happen around me. And especially not at the edge. At the edge, there is no low drama, especially at the edge. What are you talking about? Because he says, because I, we go at the edge, there will be low drama. At the edge, you mean like... Well, the at the work? edge of our box, whatever edge work I'm... Yeah, because it's going to uh, create, like, people are, like, the fear is coming, and then the gremlin come to protect the box. So it doesn't need to be that. You don't. You can completely redesign your world. And like the, the only reason for low drama is gremlin food. Yeah. So uh, what are you feeding your gremlin? You know, and if you're going to decide to have low drama as one of your gremlin foods, well, then we don't need to have this conversation. But if you decide to feed your, your gremlin some other kinds of conscious foods, 
which there's millions for using the feeding your gremlin on creation, nonlinear possibility, invention, transformation, etc. There's so many kinds of foods to feed your gremlin. Besides low drama, if you decide to do that, then low drama just falls off like one of the lizard skins, like we mentioned before. It's just like okay, it doesn't it doesn't need to happen. There's this great website called. I think it's a website called the buffer zone. Anyway, there's a star about fear and the buffer zone. And it's really this discovery that there's your being and the access to whatever the impulses of your being, the channel, the resource is fear, conscious fear, but the unconscious fear takes you away from your being, creating super imposing you say that super imposing yeah layers of survival strategy can you explain that again yeah is you know it's sort of for me i discovered that in this path of evolution here we are noticing our survival strategy and then instead of being afraid of them like instead of noticing them just purely just noticing them we there's this immediate reaction of i'm going to try to handle them I'm going to try to have other strategies to handle my survival strategies to pretend that I'm on a path of evolution. Do you get that? Yes. And so and it caused that you're getting more and more away from your being and entangles in layers and layers of survival strategies. And it, and it looks like you're changing because you're building new survival strategy, but you're still getting more and more away from your being and from just simplicity like radical simplicity i think that's what clinton is talking about in terms of a mimetic structure mimetic construct that has a sword and a bullshit detector it's utterly simple it's utterly simple and um, and so where i don't know where i was going with this it's like you're trying to you try i think this is what you're trying to do you're trying to handle your survival strategy with other survival strategies instead of making it simple And, yeah. the, and the key is fear, and it's called the. I'm pretty sure I built the website called the Buffer Zone. I wrote it down. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, I'll check yeah. it. I can check it later. Who knows? Thank you. That lands in me. And, and I have an experiment, so thank you. I don't think so. It's a star. Yeah. Great. All of it is not on the buffer zone. It's on Compass of Reality, which is in the list of, in the chat. Um, we're at the top. Compass of Reality is what? Yeah. Compass of Reality, there's the, the part about the buffer zone and then the part okay. about the Compass of Reality. It's on a website. It's on the website, Compass of Reality. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And there's a website called Radical Simplicity. I don't know how much, Not much. is on it. It's very simple. It's a radically simple <laughs> website. Um, and I also want to add something, and I don't know if it's really making sense for you. And it's sure. a question. If you have inflammations, Dor, if you have yes. your... In yes, so Any maybe it's some... 
Yeah, so it's a close thing that what um, also um, Anne-Chloe mentioned. It's an, another point of view out of the feelings practitioner work that you have something like a wall in between you. It's like the law drama is coming to you and you build a wall. So it's mm -hmm. like attacking you all the time. Mm -hmm. And in between you are somehow lost because you have no eye. At, yeah, you, don't, you don't know how to handle that. And so to go through this wall, that is a process you can do, and you can do it also for your own, is surrendering to your fear. Don't use at all any anger or your sadness. It's really only using fear, surrendering there. And then when you go through that, also your inflammation will get better. It's another picture of it, another map. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, Where can I find more information about this process or who can I talk yeah. to? You can come tomorrow to the feelings practitioner clinic. Maybe we can talk about that. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, it's is that also seven o'clock. Yeah. Is that feelingspractitioner.com? Is it listed on there, your clinic? I the think. clinic? Yes, I think so. Yes, on the web page. It's mentioned there. Great. It's also in the PM event group. Yeah. We posted it. Yeah. Is yeah. it every week or every month or how often? Yes, every week. Over. Yes, every week. Yeah. Until the until the lab in October. Super. Cool. What a cool space. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Michaela. Yeah, welcome. All right. Somebody else, something else right now. Anything else? James, you're thinking about something. Mm -hmm. I was wondering about the time, to be per perfectly honest. 22 minutes. <laughs> So don't ask a really complicated question, right? So keep it simple. <laughs> Trust me. You know, it's it's fun for me to read through the archetypal stuff because it's just delightful. Just this sword, raise, flaming sword of clarity, you know, slicing through ordinary realities and opening up spaces that are like, of course, like, yeah, well, sure, it's like that, or or it's so almost unfathomable, you know, it's it's like can't even imagine what it would really be like. So I don't want to speed through it because we miss the doorways or we miss the chances to um, take little sideways trips along the way where the treasure's hiding, you know, in these little passages. So I'm, I, you know, of course can't read. And I just want to check if anybody needs anything about the free will, using free will to torture ourselves. Yeah, I would have a question that is about the space, the space that I'm holding about healing abuse and also mm, having worked with people who have a, one of the survival strategies to build fantasy world. And it's like how to interact with archetypal love without being, Oh, everything is love. So therefore 
I can let myself be abused or which is a fan like then it's a fantasy world and how to navigate yeah that or kind of experiments or noticing one of the ways to really work with that is to try to clarify the technique that somebody's using for causing the stuff to happen you get what i'm saying like mm-hmm. how do they and then stay there in it like it's kind of like you're in a laboratory that's sterile you know it has this archetypal love laboratory and you're using an instrument like a microscope to look at a an an infiltration of a disease like a parasite for example you're trying to see what's the first you have to identify the parasite you know how what how does it work what does it get triggered what does it cause how does it go how does it stop speaking of parasites and <laughs> and then <laughs> and then uh stay there where you you're in the laboratory but you have to split your attention so the laboratory does not disappear you don't get sucked into the parasite world and then you you just stay there in the company of the parasite and go and you're inquiring about how it functions like what is the purpose of it where did it come from what's the mechanism of it how does it mate how does it have sex how does it have babies and duplicate itself how does it spread into other people and what are what are the parasite survival strategies so the thing is if you don't address the parasites clever survival strategies it will survive and that that's the part of it that needs the the like this kind of compassion it's kind of like there's people who who look in other people's poop they're called scatologists and they they look in other people's poop for signs of parasites for example or signs of contamination from from poisons or things like that they like you're you're looking at how the system is creating byproducts and how that and and so so this is what you're doing you're essentially hanging out in the poop domain with the person knowing that you're in a context of a of a powerful sterilized laboratory and this is a a small segment of it that you're exploring at the moment and so you don't get and it's not about finding solutions you know it's not about because there's millions of parasites and everybody we're really good at inventing parasites on ourselves it's such a, a fascinating field of endeavor to study people's parasites so i mean janet's an expert she, she's seen so many i i would love to have janet's catalog of parasites so that she's noticed in all her customers all these years what on earth do i say to a comment like that <laughs> you're a scientist i know you you're a researcher i know you got you got anyway Redmond, okay. the Redmond Guide to Parasites. What? Okay. <laughs> following question. The following question is: You a parasite researcher? <laughs> the the worthiness of, I mean, at some point, there's this leap need to be taken, even between extraordinary love, human or extraordinary human relating, and 
archetypal love and the leap you know it's like is the answer build matrix and the leap will happen or does it need to be okay i'm going to run and take the leap and is that does that experiment has any worthiness so look you're still trying to find the solution yeah and let's suppose it's not about finding a solution let, let's suppose it's more about finding motive and what were those three things uh in um in mulan no yeah, no not the most, <laughs> no the one in this crossing the rubicon it's like you have to have motive. okay motive means an opportunity yeah so this that's lawyer. yeah but this is technology for parasite work it's like motive means an opportunity how does the parasite work and it and the thing is when you get when you lay that out with such precision you know and there's no loopholes but you, you get what we're saying yeah. there's no un, uninspected bottom drawers full of surprises you know hidden escape routes and all that kind of stuff but motive so means, means is really important. The means is really important. The motive is usually survival or one form or another, being superior or being inferior. But the the means is really central. What was the other one? Opportunity. Yeah. That's a trigger. It's like what opens the door to it. Yeah. yeah. And if you once you you gotta really lay that whole thing out in painful, like kind of irrefutable clarity. And that's the, that's the work, and it it's it's like after that the thing doesn't exist anymore. I mean the thing has been as is. You're basically trying to as is the parasite. And a, there is a website called as is. And does it have a dash in it? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's as ising even. Okay. Mm-hmm. With a dash in between. Yeah. And it's it's just a procedure for coming into reality with the aberration coming into into presence with the like the the cause the 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 means the motive the means and the opportunity opportunity, coming into presence with that with, with a full you know full five body sensory experience of it in 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 the client who who created it in the first place you know, maybe unconsciously, maybe reflexively, they created the parasite, or their system created the parasite, and then and then they're a victim of it. <laughs> and it's like it's like being uh, in admiration of the incredible creativity and the cleverness of the parasite, and it, it's just standing there in in awe of the parasite with your sword out and your bullshit detector, knowing the motive, the means, and the and the opportunity you know what it is opportunity yeah and so yeah this is a really powerful way to approach the thing without trying to make a solution because there isn't you know this the parasite is defended against all solutions i think we all have kind of encountered that with our own parasites that they're defended against all solutions it isn't the solution that's going to get you out of a parasite it's becoming the thing you become the thing in which that is no longer hospitable for the parasite. You get that? You're changing your being. You're changing yourself so that there's no, it, 
there's no home for the parasite in that anymore. It just cannot thrive there anymore because there's no the environment changed. So you're changing the environment through awareness expansion, basically. Okay. See, so this is actually a biology class. And we're <laughs> <laughs> what were you gonna say, Michaela? <laughs> yes, and there's also in process you can digest um it's a process that you sit on the table again so that you digest um everything what is going on by nature nurturing you and then again digest your poop so and feel the humors going through you and it's really amazing what's coming out there so this is serious Serious. it is so it's more biological so (laughs) (laughs) A lot of humor there. Thank you. A lot of humor. And humor. And humor too, yes. Yes. Both not. Okay, Okay. let me check. Let me check. We're going to give you a true uh, source for the website. You hit it? No, that's right. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. As Anne-Chloe is looking this up, any last comments or questions before we find the edge of the space? Just, I can't see you right now, so just speak if you have your hand up or something. As is process is what it's called. It's all one word. Here's the, here's the How word. did we get to parasites? I think I, lo- I, I, I can't remember what the jumping off board was for that. Say that again. It's like this question of reality and fantasy worlds and love. Yes, I, I was asking this this conversation. I was asking this question of what's the leap? You know, what's the process? What's the kind of the how of this shift happening from being stuck in a survival strategy of fantasy world or um, to experiencing archetypal love? And and what's in the way is Clinton was talking about. There's this parasite that we've developed, the survival strategies. A series of them. Yeah, a series of them. And that the then mm. the 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 way is to not offer a solution to the parasite because it's defended against that, but it's actually to just m- become something that is unhospitable, in inhospitable to the parasite. Like there's not enough food for it or not enough oxygen or not enough whatever. Attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mark. Like becoming unhookable. When you become unhookable, you remove the ability for someone else to play that game. And which then makes that inhospitable for the parasitic pattern that we're living. Yeah. Where one person pushes a button, the other person becomes hooked, and then you're in that realm. Yeah, in terms of buttons, the the there's this website called Reactivity, which distinguishes different forms of reactivity, one which is being hooked, and another is is the buttons. The buttons are actually a structure on your box. And so when you go, when your box goes through the liquid state of a redesign on your box so that the issue, whatever the 
whatever the button that could be pushed is no longer there. Pe- people will push in the same place, but there's no button anymore. You know, it just, you did a surgery on yourself to transform or in, you know, so you became a thing that no longer has that button on you. You know, if your button was uh, leaving the refrigerator door open or, you know, leaving, you know, leftover food wrapped in aluminum foil in the refrigerator and, you know, and every time you see aluminum, something wrapped aluminum in the refrigerator, your button is pushed. If you go through and redesign your box so it doesn't have that button anymore, then every time you open the refrigerator and there's aluminum wrapped leftovers, you won't even hardly see them. It won't, it just won't, it won't, there's no place on your box for that button to be pushed anymore. And so that's, a, this, and you can do that essentially with all your buttons. And so you, you actually redesign the box and you, you just get a leaner, sleeker, you know. Meaner. meaner. No, meaner. <laughs> no, like. Sharker. You know, Sharker. <laughs> then I can stay in the space that I was in before that moment happened. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> that was it. That's the thing. Space retaining box. You can like stable <laughs> or stabilitized. Yeah. Yeah. So that's an experiment for everybody. Get rid of all your buttons on your box and get rid of all your parasites through as using them through. So let us know when it happens. We'll be looking forward to your next work talk. Anything from anybody else? The piece that landed yeah, for me. Been... James? Go for it, James. What was the, the attention? Like where... And if if there's if there's so much going on in my life that that where I'm alive and my and my my and I'm on fire, it's like that's where my attention is. And then then that's you know it's not creating yeah it's creating that space that's not hospitable to to parasites. I mean, if you really like being in love, you know, being in, if you like that, parasites can't grab that. There's nothing for it to grab on. And there's no substance there for the parasites to get a hold of. You know, different parasites have suction cups or barbs or feathers where they have different legs and arms and strings and like... (laughs) It's like slimy tendrils. They have all these ways. They're all trying to reach out and do all this stuff. But if but archetypal love itself does not have substance in that domain. And so you just hang out there. But the, but then, you know, you get this illusion of enlightenment or something. You get this delusion of, I'm just in love. You know, I'm only love. And probably you've met people like that and you Who's going to cook the pasta? Yeah, who's going to who's going to clean the toilet? Who's going to wash <laughs> the clothes? And you know, oh, I'm just in love. So that that doesn't really work as a prognosis. It doesn't work as a strategy, but it, but if 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 the focus is to find the thing that turns me on, and that's where I put my attention, then then. Yeah, it, it's like continuing to return to that. Yeah, but James, then you're a victim. 
you're always going around looking for the thing that turns you on, then you're not turned on unless you're turned on by the, by looking for something that turns you on. Noticing, noticing what's turning me on, like noticing right now that my, that, 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 that I'm, a, I, I, I'm coming alive when I think about the possibility that no one goes hungry, that we have, that we have abundance of, of incredibly high quality food that turns me on. For the moment. Yeah. All right. Yeah, for the moment. I, I have a suspicion that that it will not last, you know, that, you know, what if there's, yes, the possibility exists, but what if people still go hungry? In the world, you mean? In, yeah, I mean. I'm getting hungry. Whatever. It's like that the possibility exists. I think that it's so incredible. Yeah, but that what are you going to do about it something like that what do, who, you know and and i think this for me anyway i don't know if you meant that but well, in this part there's so much fear and rage and sadness i mean the invitation Tie is it back to the game plan <clears throat> yeah mm-hmm. and the game plan thing is sourcing like so james if you if you shift from looking for what turns you on to sourcing what turns you on then then you have a then you get it, then you're not a victim. And then it, if you decide to not... Oh, yeah. Okay. I, 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 yeah, I wasn't... Mm, I think that's an interesting language change. And I didn't feel like I was looking for... It was more like, hey, I discovered this thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. connected with something that is turning me on. By sourcing it. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like yes, I guess I, I don't. I don't have a feeling for what that means. Sourcing it, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm noticing. <laughs> I'm noticing what's turning me on, and I'm and I'm and I'm leaning into it. So is that sourcing it? It looks like you you source from the outside, looking at the outside perspective and what is coming from there, not from what is your source. Muscles. Hmm. Thank you. Yeah. That's something. Welcome. Cool. Hmm. Yeah. Be- yeah. Because. Yeah. Being turned on by something is an experience, and but using that as your guideline, what could crash you into you know stuff, and so the reason that I I would, or basically sort of slide the rug out from under your ecstasy of discovering something that turns you on um, is so that instead of crashing yourself instead of you know finding all of a sudden like oh god I can't find anything that turns me on you know people commit suicide after that you know so it's like the thing is hey what am I going to source now And and what I was trying to say was there will be times when you don't want to source anything except laying flat on your back and breathing or you know watching mosquitoes mate or whatever they do you know it's just like there are there are times when when you just choose using your free will to go okay i'm not i'm not sourcing anything right now so i don't have to be turned on right now you know i'm turning being turned on is like you know like over there on the shelf there's two 
chocolate chip cookies and they've been here all afternoon and we know how good they are because we each ate one for breakfast. And, and so I was turned on when I was eating the chocolate chip cookie, but you know, then it changes into poop after that, you know? So it's like, there's this, the turn, the, the turned on thing is a, is a relatively temporary experience. And to try to center yourself on a temporary experience is not going to be stable for, for the future. And so what we're inviting is a, a different orientation as an experiment and let us know how it goes and we'll see all you guys next week or thank you James. next week yes yeah. yeah, next week next week next week same time thank you for being here for the research thank you team. thank you, thank for you. Supporting. thanks for bye, being bye. yourselves thank you thank you bye 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 thanks everyone thank bye. you bye bye bye